This culture of self-promotion, living within this virtual world, trying to ascend as the top gun, the top dog, this is what's driving uh, this violence, this dominating, objectifying of people. And of course, big tech is only making money off of these spectacles. But that gives you, you know, in the 80s, you could make the newspaper. You're, you can, you know, um, broadcast this live in real time to get the, the most virality of the situation. Consciousness. The notion of the self. Personality structure. Transactional analysis. Symbiosis. Zen Buddhism. Teacher-student. Relationships. Training yourself in how to think. To subvert is to undermine the existing system of inscribed power and authority. What's happening in the digital space. The virtual world. Much of us live in a hyper-stimulated present where language itself has become the info currency in the sequence of corporate capitalism. The injunction of the virtual world is... The gatekeepers of our speech and written word are global tech monopolies. We cannot transcend or go beyond our lack through craving. What are we going to do? How are we going to live our life? The subversive therapist is about what the virtual world is doing to us and what we can do about it. Series 3 kicks off with Andrew in front of a large audience with his most political speech to date. In this lecture, you'll hear Andrew model and advocate for subversion, specifically undermining authority through non-identification, resistance, and confrontation. In this recording, you'll hear Andrew discuss passivity strategies such as agitation and violence. He introduces a new script that is most profoundly displayed in the U.S. mass shooter, the Top Gun script, which is the imperative of neoliberalism. We are all hyper-individualistic in the pursuit of being the best of the best. American culture bombards us with notions of competition, domination, celebrity status, and revenge. Enjoy. Thank you. All right. Welcome, everybody. I uh, want to say thanks to Alex uh, first. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that goes on to put together these conferences, so it's a lot of work. It's an honor to be here, honor to speak. Um, what I do six days a week is uh, practice psychotherapy in private practice. I founded Minnesota Mental Health Services in 2017. Um, what I found interesting listening um, this far to the speakers is, you know, the, this is the social determinants of mental health, but nobody's defined what mental health is. And what does it mean to be he mentally healthy in American culture? Uh, Eric Fromm wrote a book called The Sane Society in 1955, and I think it's a pretty sick culture that we're living in. Uh, and mental health is such a vague and ambiguous term. I'd love to, uh, we'll see how it goes this afternoon, but I'd love to come back next year and talk about the sort of mythology around mental health. And I should say, I don't, it's not that I don't think people suffer. People definitely suffer. Uh, but what I do in terms of my practice is uh, it's analytical work combined with meditation. So I'm actually teaching people a different way of understanding themselves, and I'll share some of that um, this afternoon as a means to empower them to break out of their own conditioning. I think part of the culture that we're in is scripting us to be passive, and it's scripting us to be mindless, 
to just escape into the, the virtual world. And so these terms, unfortunately, I think are being co-opted because mental health is really becoming an economic term. Uh, you invest in yourself, like you invest in a home or a car, and then you have to remodel yourself and update it, optimize uh, yourself. And so that puts the focus on our head, right? What's going on in here and our identities and all this stuff. So I'd love to come back next year and talk about the myth of <laughs> mental health, something I'm focusing on, I'm, I'm writing about. Uh, but people suffer and people engage in passive strategies. That's what I want to share um, this afternoon. There's a great article that a Alex sent out um, called Passivity by Jackie and Aaron Schiff. I encourage you to read that if you haven't already, but I'm going to go through the main points, but I'm going to telescope outward to give you some examples of what's going on in the culture. Emil Durkheim, you know, in 1897 understood that uh, the, the individual's uh, enmeshment in the market, in the economic system, has very detrimental effects. And now we're living in these virtual markets and they're trying to get us more and more habituated to that, that way of living. But what he found in his study and he was basically the first sociologist, was that it didn't matter if it was a boom in the market or a bust, you saw increases of uh, self-annihilation, self-destruction, uh, and that stems from agitation. So that's what I'm going to get into. Uh, but when we think about American culture, you know, what was the, the best grossing movie this summer? Top Gun. Maverick. So we have gun in the name, okay, but it's about being this rugged individual who's the best of the best. You know, Pete Mitchell is, you know, Maverick, and he has to compete to win and dominate um, others. But what's interesting about that movie, and I love the movie because I grew up watching it in the 80s, first on beta, then VHS and DVD, um, is that the new movie is just a simulation of the old movie. And Pete Mitchell, even though it's 40 years later, he's the same guy. Uh, and I think that's part of the issue, uh, my issue with mental health, is that the medical model cr creates a continuity of the self. So Pete Mitchell, back in the 80s, is the same guy in 2022. Uh, and my perspective on this is not as a clinical social worker. I have three kids. And the personality structure in human nature is dynamic. So we're never the same. We're constantly emerging in a relational sphere with one another. Symbiosis is the term. So that's what I'm gonna get into and what I'm gonna try and do in the limited amount of time is bring this intersection between the virtual world, um, this despair that many of, uh, many of us are feeling. If, if you're aware of what's going on, like Bukata Hayes about racism, if you're aware about what's going on in terms of economic precarity, and I assume you all are, not getting paid enough, working 40 hours during the day and then at night and checking email constantly, is that you feel despair. But it, despair is transformed into joy if you have another relational body to express that truth with. So all the stuff that I'm gonna talk about today is really awful. And uh, it's sad, but when I talk to my friends about it, I feel joy, because I'm connected, because we see it the same way. And the, the through line is this sense of competition. But so the virtual world, this sense of despair, and mass shootings. What is going on in American culture that's so much different than anywhere else uh, in the world? But remember, we're an empire. 
we're an imperial empire. Uh, you know, MSU doesn't really own this land that we're sitting on, right? We, white people created the idea of whiteness and that justified land ownership. And so we've colonized much of the Earth, the U.S. It's not just the actual um, space on the North American continent. We have Guam, we have Puerto Rico, all these territories. <laughs> that's, a, that's a nice neoliberal term for colonies. Okay, so colonization. And the mass shooter in their act of self-annihilation is colonizing space and time. Why? To go viral in a virtual world of uh, non-space, non-time. <coughs> So these passivity strategies, this is, when I read this article eight, nine years ago, it changed the way I did uh, psychotherapy. I don't, I don't work with mentally ill people or mentally healthy people. I work with people, and they all suffer. And when you sit down and listen to a person's whole story and how they've adapted and how they operate, they're insane, right? Have you met anyone that's not insane? It's crazy, but it's very interesting because it's based on their cultural conditioning. It's based how, you know, Robin and Katie talked about, it's the socialization. As little kids, we train them uh, to be self-existing, independent selves. I have a, a one and a half year old. We keep telling her she's Vivian, she's Vivian, she's Vivian. You're separate, you're separate, you're isolated. But that's, that's a form of selfhood that's egocentric. That's not reality. Uh, because we can express ourselves and we're self-aware, you know, that, that makes us different than a turtle. But the issue with that is we're always trying to be better, to be good enough, to optimize ourselves. And so that's the ego, that's, a, that's uh, our conditioning. Uh, that we can't resolve that sense of lack. Uh, and so I help people see that they've been conditioned in certain ways, and I train them to think for themselves, to do their own thinking, not how their parents told them or how they adapted to how their uh, parents told them. But I don't see them as ill. I mean, I practice using transactional analysis, and the philosophy is I'm okay and you're okay, which means that we're all fundamentally the same. So the, per, the first passive strategy, you know, my, uh, my garage door opener wasn't working this summer, and do you know what I did about it? Nothing. I just <laughs> parked outside. I didn't, I didn't do anything about it. And believe it or not, that didn't change uh, the problem, right? It's not going to uh, fix itself. So a great way to avoid uh, something is to, you know, go, go onto the virtual space and just escape. So we have a problem, we say, ah, I don't want to deal with it, and I'm going to scroll, and I'm going to do whatever. The interesting thing is hyperactivity is a passive uh, strategy, multitasking, doing a bunch of things at once, because you're not dealing with feelings. Uh, you have to think and reflect about your own thinking uh, to understand what you're feeling, what's going on in your body. But in the virtual world, we're dissociated from the body. You know, when I'm on my email, you know, my kid's hair could be on fire running around and I don't experience it. When I'm reading a book, I still have senses about what's going on around me, but not when I'm in the machine. Okay, so I'm going to talk about uh, the virtual world. That's where, how Alex and I got connected. I spoke at the Nobel uh, conference a couple weeks ago about that topic, uh, so I can go in depth into that. Now, the, the second passive strategy, you know, so I, the garage door opener's not working. <laughs> I thought about it. I thought about it a bunch of times, and believe it or not, thinking about the garage door and how I was gonna fix it actually didn't fix it either. So overthinking, a client comes in to meet with me, 
they're having some issue. They have fear. They feel powerless about something. They have some problem. I say, so, okay, so what have you done to, to deal with that fear? And I said, well, I've just been thinking about it for like a week or two. Overthinking. That's a passive strategy. And typically what we do in terms of over-adaptation is we take on someone else's goals. So again, I want to you know, uh, kaleidoscope out uh, from these individual psychological constructs to the broader social uh, and economical sphere. When COVID happened, that was big tech's moment, right? They wait for a crisis so they will habituate to the new technology. So working from home, remote learning, you know, all this stuff. They've had all this technology for years. They're just waiting for the crisis to push that. Okay, so a lot of us, not all of us, but many of us over-adapted to that. And now we think that psychotherapy can be done video chatting with people. That is not therapy. I do therapy with, with bodies people that are full body, you know, I have, again, these little kids, they walk around with their like stomach when they're two years old, you know, they walk around with like an antenna out of their stomach. Uh, they're full bodies. So in the West, we just focus on our head. But when I'm doing therapy, I wanna see the whole body and work with the energy that's coming off the body because most of communication is not what we say. People say things when they're thinking other things, right? And we're deceptive and we manipulate people. So you, you can tell that because people shift in and out of states of mind. And they show you that with their body language. They show you that with their tone of voice. Okay, so we have over-adaptation. When that overthinking doesn't work, uh, people get agitated. And this is where I think we need to be um, putting our focus on, is you know when somebody's agitated, right? They're shaking or they're real restless and, and you can sense that they're uh, irritated. Again, I have little kids, so the, the two-year-old's gonna bite somebody when they can't resolve their agitation. That violence makes the agitation go away or they hit. Um, the mass shooters, they're almost all agitated uh, before the act. So this is what we're gonna get into I'm gonna try and go faster because I know I won't get through everything. Doing nothing, over adaptation, agitation, and then incapacitation or uh, violence. And violence, uh, sort of ironically, is when power ends, when you use violence. Uh, what Russia has done, you know, preemptively is uh, this war of aggression that's where their power, their power is sort of in free fall because uh, what happens when the state um, uses that violence, it, it, they take off the mask, the state takes off the mask and you see how uh, th these forces are so dark uh, and people lose faith in it. Um, but in terms of an individual act, the mass shooter, because of the agitation, does this act of um, self-exhibition this performative act um, to resolve their agitation. Of course, they think they're gonna live forever online. And they do research other mass shooters, uh, do a lot of R&D, but they never have an exit plan because it is a form of incapacitation. They're trying to get shot by the police or they're gonna turn the gun um, on themselves. But this is, you know, part of American culture's history is that we have colonized and we continue to colonize and kind of 
you know, what I'm thinking about when I'm hearing these other lectures is, and this is so typical of people in power. Now, I work for myself, so I don't work for anybody and I'm not selling anything. I'm giving, <laughs> if anything, I'm giving this away. But what I'm hearing is we need to just remodel these models that we have. Just make them better. And, and let's hope that uh, the people in power, uh, like the Democratic Party, uh, make some changes. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, we need to change the models, and the, and the mental health one is one we could talk about. Um, but certainly, we need to work with agitation and getting people to calm down. Uh, in addition to doing psychotherapy, I uh, practice meditation with preschool kids. And uh, they have a lot of energy, <laughs> four and five-year-olds. So I teach them to de-escalate to calm down. This is what we can all do. This is what we can all promote uh, without any sort of ideology is that we need to calm down. We need to work on um, agitation. Okay, so let's talk about despair. I already kind of mentioned it. If you can't express your truth, what's going on for you with anyone in the world, that's despair. Your conscious reasoning about what's happening in the world. If you don't have an outlet, if you don't have a friend, if you don't have a mentor, a teacher, uh, that despair can erode you uh, internally. And this is Franco Berardi's uh, quote. He's an Italian uh, writer. It's an understanding, you know, the world is getting hotter every year. Uh, again, all these models and people in power want to talk about climate or climate change, this and that, to create divisiveness. It's getting hotter every year. Okay, that's not something you can argue about. What we do about that, that's something we should have a discussion about, but it is getting hotter. And I think our employment is getting more and more precarious. Obviously, we have war constantly going on. So if you're aware of those things and you have feelings associated with that, that's not because you're mentally ill. It means because you're aware of what's going on, okay? That is uh, in distinction with depression, and this comes out of transactional analysis. Eric Byrne is the founder of that. If you can't have an internal dialogue, uh, that's usually when people get depressed, they don't interact with people, they withdraw. And uh, I'll show the, the personality structure from TA, but it's uh, you know that critical voice. Let's say you, uh, after this conference, you go home and you turn on uh, Netflix, right? You put your feet up, and then there's that voice that says, you know, you should be doing something productive. You know, aren't you being a little lazy? That's the critic or the parent's ego state. It's an echo of your parent figures that, you know, <laughs> projected their fears of you not making it and said you were lazy when you're a kid. You still hear that. It's still inside uh, your head. So if you can't have that internal dialogue, uh, it's likely that you're going to feel uh, depressed if those two parts of the personality don't work together. Now, if we're, if we're living 12 to 13 hours a day uh, in the virtual world in front of screens, which is the, the average in America, uh, today, how much internal dialogue are you having? As soon as I step out of the psychotherapy room or I see a client in the office that's idle, bam, it's right there, bam, right there, every second. We don't want to think about our own thinking. And that's what I think therapy is really useful for, however you do it, is you get the client to start thinking about their own thinking because then they realize they're, they're not their thinking. That's how they were conditioned. Okay, so Sherry Turkle has done a lot of research on this. Uh, we're just getting more of what we want online. Okay, and I'll talk a little bit about that. So, the first uh, strategy here 
like I said, if you have a problem and instead you escape into the, the virtual world. So let's talk about it for a second, because like I said, you know, big tech was waiting for this crisis. Uh, and with COVID, it was it was a perfect opportunity. Um, but we think of this thing as like our baby. You know, we keep it charged at all times. We put the screen protector on it. You know, we adorn it. <laughs> we don't want anything to happen to it. When you can't find it, you freak out, right? You're like, oh my God, like, <laughs> where's my phone? Where's my livelihood? But this is uh, thinking for us. So we're actually uh, the baby. Uh, this is a symbiotic relationship where everything that I want, I get. But the, the con here of the virtual space is that if you get everything you want, then you're going to be happy. You know, if you're like a billionaire or something, that's, you're going to be happy. Uh, but that's not how happiness works. Again, because of uh, human nature, the ego, is your, it's always wanting. And if you don't believe me, I'll, I'll loan you my three-year-old. And he'll, he'll show you. <laughs> it's never enough. We always want more. Okay, this is, this is called greed uh, in the Zen Buddhist philosophy. This is our issue. And we don't, when we don't get what we want, then we get agitated. Uh, but the other thing about uh, the phone is that we touch it about 3,000 times a day. We pick it up a couple hundred times, but what's happening is we're just using our fingers. And what I think is really incredible about human nature is what we've built with our hands and how we communicate with our hands. Again, I got a little toddler at home. She points and she grabs my hand and she pats her babies when she takes care of her little babies, right? That's how we've created these civilizations, not with our minds, with our hands. I mean, think about doing a, a button or a zipper uh, with these, these little babies have these little tiny fragile hands, but they train themselves through practice to do things like a zipper or a button. I mean, it's incredible. No other animal can do these, these things. And now what we're doing is we're not using our hands because tech wants it as instantaneous as possible. If we can think and order on Amazon, they'll find a way to do that, right? Because they want it actually at the, the neuroplastic um, level of desire. If they can tap into that uh, data, that's ideal. But Berardi makes this point that actually the faster that everything, uh, the acceleration of the virtual space, you know, it's like you got to keep up with everything that's going on, but these um, digital systems are just becoming more and more sophisticated. Is he saying that the human mind can't keep up? And when we can't keep up, we get burnt out. Anybody burnt out these days? Uh, and we feel impotent because everything is happening uh, so quickly. So this is uh, two personality structures. So each one, the, the P stands for parent, the A for adult, and C for child. Um, the parent ego state you can think of as more like defensive. When somebody's sitting you know, with their hands crossed and like they have the scowl, it's a defensive um, position. It's meant to be in control. And so you, when you're um, taking care of kids, 
you uh, end up saying the things your parents said to you, right? Just like habitually, they, they come out. I'll say like, make up your mind, which doesn't mean anything. It just means your dad's getting angry and he doesn't want to look psychotic when he yells at you in public. So you say, make up your mind. Uh, the adult state is basically mindful awareness. Uh, they didn't use mindfulness back in the 1950s, uh, but that's objective. You know, so objectively, we could say it's 71 degrees in here, but some, some of you can say it's cold. I felt cold. <laughs> or hot or whatever. That's, a, that's an analytical process. But you just say you know, that you have goosebumps. Uh, you might hear different sounds if you really pay attention out here. This is the state of mind for learning. And the multitasking, the hyperactivity, you're not learning. Okay. Now, the child state is basically like the ego, or if you think of personality um, in general. And again, this is all laid out in the, uh, the passivity art article. I don't want to spend too much time on it, because I think you'll understand this. So if on the right is a newborn baby, an infant, um, they don't know that they're separate from anything in the world, right? Object permanence, it's not there. They're just reflexively responding to everything that's happening. So if you think of a breastfeeding mother and a newborn infant, the mother is thinking, uh, and this is a simplification, but the mom is out, this outside mind, making sure the baby's not sleeping on their stomach when it's too early, thinking about when they need to be changed. Is it nap time? So it's all this analytical thinking, and of course, you're in the moment because you don't want the baby to roll off the bed. Uh, but what happens is the baby cries because the the child state is about wanting it's about desire so the baby cries and the mother doesn't think hmm you know I'm, I'm thinking of a breastfeeding mother doesn't think hmm I wonder what's going on it's actually a reflexive process that the mother produces milk when the baby responds so it's symbiotic in a relational sense meaning when two people become one obviously when a newborn uh, baby comes along, it's a separate thing, but the, the mother, especially the breastfeeding mother, and the baby operate as one. But they're not really one, they're not really two. And what I'm saying here in symbiosis, you have one person doing more of the thinking for the other person. And so the connection I want to make with you is that um, with the virtual world, if it'll go, maybe not. You never want to do a lecture on technology and not have the technology work. <laughs> With the virtual space, think about, uh, if you can advance it, go ahead. Um, Siri, Alexa, they're the adult state. They're just listening, right? They're just waiting for their, their command to search something for us. Um, Tinder is bringing people together based on an algorithm. It's kind of funny when you think about it this way. Uh, I've been reading this sociologist, Jean Baudrillard, and uh, he talks about American culture as a primitive culture. So if you think of Tinder or Match.com, these different things, it's actually very primitive. Like it's like an arranged marriage. Like you don't have to think at all. It's going to bring you uh, together. But so very limited thinking, right? You can just swipe. You don't have to think much about it. You don't have to think about how do I meet people, where should I go, um, et cetera. So the virtual machine, this is the parent and the adult. And it's conditioning us in certain frames of reference. Most of this stuff online is despair, right? It's like, oh my god, we're all going to die. This is awful. Every, and the, there's lots of bad things happening in the world, but 
We're like freebasing uh, that despair all the time. And so, like the mother-infant, uh, you guys really don't want to laugh. i got to say something really funny. <laughs> like the mother-infant uh, dyad, we, or just parents in general, is you prescribe frames of reference. What's good, what's bad? Do this, don't do this. And that's what the virtual world is doing. It has the power to control the possibility of our choices. So we're within this model. You know, you can't go on uh, Facebook and just wander around and look at stuff. You have to sign up and be a user and be fixed within that model as a subject to interact with anybody on Facebook. You have to identify yourself. You can't, you know, when I was a kid, it was all about the internet superhighway and you're going to explore, uh, but there's no anonymity. You can't just wander around. And the reason for that is, of course, that they want our data. They want our data to sell it to third party uh, companies that then repackage it, sell it to other companies, and ultimately sell us junk that we don't need. So we produce all of this data and content for these companies. Do we get any money for that? No. And do they pay any taxes on it? No. Are they regulated? No. Uh, but it's this symbiotic process, so we get what we want. So that's the child state. We get to be uh, little, in a sense, and just get more of what we want. Uh, but they're controlling the choices, the frames of reference in this binary way. Just like as parents, you say, uh, this is good, this is bad. Um, think of uh, an example here. Uh, my five-year-old uh, likes Bob Marley and Bob Dylan and Leonard Cohen. He likes to listen to this, this music in the car, which is great. But that's what dad listened to. I didn't listen to jazz or hard rock or electric or whatever. So I prescribed the frames of reference. But he walks around thinking he's autonomous and that he likes Bob Dylan. But that's based on his cultural conditioning. That's why he likes. So it's the same process that's going on is that we're getting scripted in this mindlessness. Uh, you know, don't think, don't remember. This will remember your bank account, your calendar, everything uh, for you, which means you don't have to think for yourself. And if you don't think for yourself, uh, there's this ominous sense that you're going to go crazy if you're scripted in that way. Alcoholic families are a good example. Uh, they're scripted not to think um, for themselves. Um, can we advance? Oh, now it's working. Okay. So the frames of reference, what it means to be social, uh, Facebook, you know, information, knowledge, uh, Google. And so it's not like we're being surveilled and monitored. This is just all going into this data dump of trash that these companies sieve through and sell to other companies. So it's not controlled by, con by coercion. Uh, nobody's putting a gun to our head. We want to communicate. It's, it's exploiting the part of us that wants connection. Okay, and they're giving us this diluted version of social experience. It's not real. Doing nothing over adaptation. So not identifying a goal, but accepting conforming to others' goals. So you're not solving the problem. Like, you know, your partner says, where do you want to go to eat tonight? I don't know. <laughs> you think. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. What, what did you have in mind? I'll do whatever you want to do. <laughs> so you don't have to think for yourself. So the over-adaptation, I, I teach the preschool kids uh, this novel, The Memory Police. Uh, it's a Japanese novel uh, translated to English in 2019. 
So you have this nameless uh, main character, this female Japanese woman who lives on this island, but there's something special about this island, which periodically there are disappearances. So one day roses disappear, and then the next day books disappear, and calendars and these different things. And when the item disappears, all the other citizens of the island have to take that item. So if, if phones disappear, they have to bring it uh, to these communal, you know, uh, burning uh, kind of dumping grounds where they have these big fires to dispose of the items or they throw them out to sea. Um, and so if you don't do that, the memory police come and, and knock on your door and you know they burst through and check to make sure you're not hiding any of the items uh, in this story. So eventually, the, uh, the citizens of the island, they wake up one day and their arm is missing. And so they, <laughs> I think there might be a, a metaphor for mental health here, but they, uh, they walk out into the street and they're like, oh dear, you know, our arm is missing, what are we gonna do? And everybody's like, well, you know, it's not that bad. I'm sure, I'm sure we'll get by. It's, you know, we still have our other arm. It's, no, it's this kind of oh dearism that Adam Curtis talks about. It's like all this scary stuff in the world, and we say, oh dear, there's nothing we can do. Uh, but people have always changed the world. That's why I get so excited talking with big groups. Is like we're all here together, and we're all the same, and we could figure out and make changes in the world. But what's confusing is that it's our own powerlessness that is our collective power. Because if we all went outside somewhere and just didn't do anything, sat in the, the road or, or blocked uh, a building, that's our power. Because again, you see how the state responds to that, collective organizing, they don't like it. In the story, the people never think to come together and overthrow the, the memory police. Uh, but so it, the story is an example um, you know, of this kind of totalitarian uh, nightmare you know, where, where the memory police come and enforce these disappearance, disappearances. With big tech in the virtual space, nobody is making us do it. We're volunteering to put out all of our information. I mean, again, there is some level of coercion. But nobody is forcing us to do it. We're you know, intoxicated by all this communication, this stimulation. Uh, so it's different than you know, like the book 1984, if people remember Orwell. It's like nobody's forcing us. They're not watching us. This is all about making money off of our data. And so it's, you know, this, uh, this sense of adaptation is that we're just merging slowly, slowly uh, with these uh, technologies, um, but that's because they want to keep us on the machine. Uh, everywhere you go, they want you to download an app, they want you to say, what was your experience like? Uh, take this survey, it's all about data to make money off of us and all we have to do is say we don't want to do that anymore we should own the data we should be selling it to you I mean it's a it's a perverse kind of uh, process but Her Peter Hershock has a book Buddhism and intelligent technology and he says it's actually the colonization of consciousness itself because what you have is this merger of uh, military government corporate interest um, and these tech companies, because what does this thing do? I mean, let's talk in a more banal way. When you see a kid and a parent at the grocery store and they hand them this, right, to, to get them to relax and not grab the Snickers bar and stuff, you are pacifying the kid. So this is a pacification machine. We can just drift into this virtual world and pacify ourselves. 
the people in power don't want us to think, and they don't want us to organize. They want us to be, you know, totally docile and obedient and conformist. I mean, the, the audience for the internet is the whole globe. And if you, so if you're going to put something out, you're going to market yourself to the whole globe, you actually end up being more and more conformist. You don't challenge power because that would you know, make you an outsider. So there's a real danger here in this, this level of manipulation that goes below our conscious awareness. Facebook can put a, a vote badge at the top of the news feed like they did in 2013 and it influences us, or they can change our newsfeed uh, to make us happier or sadder, and we can't process what they're doing. And of course, their algorithms are proprietary, so we don't actually know uh, what they're doing. But as Mark Zuckerberg said on Joe Rogan's podcast, they meet with the FBI. And so we're, we're living in this sort of schizophrenia where is the FBI the good guy or is the psychopath billionaire the good guy? It's like you can't, you can't figure out what's real and what's not real anymore, am I right? It's getting more and more challenging to understand what's going on in the world because of all of this is driven by self-interest, of course. Uh, but the, the aim is you know, total immersion in the virtual world. That's what uh, the metaverse is really about, is that sensory information that they don't have what's actually going on inside your body, they want that uh, to collect that data, but they can, they can hurt us in subtle and not so subtle ways. Now I have a question here, what, what happens when you see this on your computer or when <laughs> the internet buffers? <laughs> Let's be honest, you wanna kill somebody, don't you? <laughs> yes, <laughs> you actually wanna physically harm someone. Okay, no, there's a fancy word for that. It's called agitation. <laughs> okay, so agitation. Like I have a, a client who finds a bug on themselves when they're in their apartment. They're terrified of bugs. So what do they do? They clean the whole apartment. They put gloves on. They like hazmat suit, everything. That's, that's not going to deal with the powerlessness and the fear that they have about the bug. It's because it's of that, that bound up energy, that agitation. They're trying to do something with it. Uh, pacing is another example. But when you feel despair, and again, if we're like being injected with this culture of despair, you know, I'm, I'm reading The Politics of Cultural Despair by Fritz Stern right now, and a lot of the things I'm hearing, especially coming from uh, the far right, sound exactly like what they were saying in the late 1800s about German culture, you know, uh, just uh, ridiculing anything that has to do with democracy, liberal values, science, progress, you know, uh, self-expression and things. Um, so agitation is, is that next one. And so this is where I want to talk uh, briefly more in the context of uh, mass shootings. We know what happens when people are agitated. Uh, that, that overexcitement, that energy that Durkheim wrote about. And Durkheim was writing about uh, what he called anime. And that's the breakdown of social bonds. So we, you feel despair if you don't have any connections. Now we're hyper-connected to everybody all the time. So it's not anime, it's this kind of hyper-individualism, uh, total focus on yourself as this project. That's why we feel burnt out, because we feel like a project that we have to optimize uh, through achievement. The mass shooter, uh, almost all of them have been traumatized. Uh, they have this existential position that I'm not okay and you're not okay. 
And so if nobody's okay uh, in the world, then nothing matters. It's a kind of nihilism. Uh, but they, they see themselves as a victim and they stew in this anger and this self-righteousness to get even. But go back to Top Gun. It's the same game. You know, you revenge, you one-up the other person, you dominate the space. That's American culture. We're, we're constantly agitated for space, despite having this huge, giant amount of land. We're agitated for space. Um, and so I really see these mass shootings from the research I've done as games. That's what I do with, with clients of mine, is analyze psychological games. Uh, there's a kind of crude name to this one, but it's called Now I've Got You, You Son of a that's what it is. They feel like a victim and they strike back uh, because a gun gives you situational power. You know, if, if you're you know, just sitting here and somebody walks in with a gun, you're forced into a relationship with that person. It's a symbiosis because you know they'll get, shoot you uh, and you're, you'll die. So if you feel not okay, if you're not getting connections, social you know, exclusion, that was talked about um, today, but everything in the culture is saying you have to go viral, you have to broadcast yourself, that's YouTube's slogan, um, then that's a way to transcend this sense of lack. You become a, win a winner with this one-up status. You're a loser, but then you have an a AR-15, and now you're a winner that licenses you to dominate uh, the space and time. So that's where I'm saying it's, a, it's this imperial act, it's this colonial act, and we're getting lost in well, did they have a mental health challenge or not? I mean, people were murdered. Uh, and there, there's even more kind of bifurcation um, around it. But this is only happening in the United States, especially the school shootings. Uh, we're awash in military-grade weapons. The whole culture is militarized. I see this from my kids' perspective, the things that they see on TV and the shows. Everything is about resolving conflict through competition and violence. That's not good scripting to be pumping in uh, to our kids, but we have uh, 120 guns per people, per person in the United States, including children. Where you go to England, it's five guns per uh, 100 people. And the countries with the most guns, the top five countries with the most guns, have the most uh, mass shootings, violence. Surprise, surprise. And the violence project, this is where the information is coming from, lays it out very clearly. Simple background checks, delays, keeping uh, campaigns about keeping guns in safes. 30% of these shootings go away. I mean, there's things that we can do. Okay, and I'll get to that. But here's the numbers. You know, when we were building this giant middle class in the mid-20th century, there was less, I mean, there was still violence happening, but in terms of the numbers, these mass shootings uh, were way down. And then, uh, I won't get into the political stuff, but things changed in the 80s, and they've been uh, rising ever since. So the, the gray bars are the number of mass shootings in a year, and the red line is victims. I put in there the number of people shot. I don't think you're a victim only if you die. You're, you're victimized in this process. So look what happens as we move into the 21st century. But these numbers are based on four or more people dying in a mass shooting. So the, it's not entirely um, accurate. I'll get to that. But the, the connection I'm trying to make, the intersection I'm, I'm, I'm begging you to think about, and I know we only have a short amount of time, is that this 
culture of self-promotion, living within this virtual world, trying to ascend as the top gun, the top dog. This is what's driving uh, this violence, this dominating, objectifying of people. And of course, big tech is only making money off of these spectacles. But that gives you, you know, in the 80s, you could make the newspaper. You're, you can, you know, um, broadcast this live in real time to get the, the most virality of the situation. COVID, the numbers go down because a lot of people are just not interacting with people. Uh, they're going up. This is through the end of July. Um, six mass shootings, but, or I'm sorry, eight uh, through 2022. But this is it. if four people are killed. If you want to see uh, for mass shootings, if four or more people are shot, that's happening twice a day. That's probably happening right now. 545 this year. This is year to date. Guns kill people, okay? We need to do something about that. That's what they're made to do, especially the military-grade uh, rifles. But in a relational sense, it gives you situational power. Now I'm above you. I'm, I'm better than you. I'm bigger than you just because by way of having a gun. So that's, that's violence, the, a way to resolve um, agitation. And so when I'm doing psychotherapy with people, again, I'm focusing on passive strategies. How are you not dealing with feelings? Um, like I already said, it enforces this symbiosis uh, and it's bound up energy when you're agitated. You can see and you can feel the different um, activity in your body, but problem solving has ended. Uh, when, you, when you commit the violence, it's just to get rid of, like Durkheim said, this acute overexcitement. Um, but it's about power. So this is Eric Byrne um, talking about uh, a gun. If you feel like a loser, if you feel like there's nothing in the world for you, you know, climate change, war, famine, you know, the economic crises that we're constantly um, in, you can see where the, the mass shooting is a crying out of despair about there's nothing for us. So these are political acts that we have to recognize that these people are traumatized, most of them are abused, but they're suffering, and this is an expression of their suffering. Mental health is all about just expressing your suffering, and it's different in any culture that you're in. But if this is specific to American culture, I think it's because of this social Darwinian, you know, survival of the fittest, kill or be killed, Mentality for the mass shooter, it's kill and be killed because it's a suicide mission. They're trying to uh, resolve this sense of despair, uh, but it's a game to go viral, to be sort of immortal um, online. And this is, this is like the, the air we breathe. It's everywhere. It's hard to even point out because it's so pervasive, that sense of competition. But I see human beings as cooperative, and they're very good at organizing together and doing things um, in a democratic way. So I've already kind of covered that uh, there's no escape route. Uh, there's not meant to be one, despite the amount of energy researching and figuring out how to you know, make this act happen. And with the school shooting specifically, they're a simulation of Columbine. Some of you are old enough to remember in the late 90s. It's just a playbook off of that. That has never happened before, but now we have all of these simulations of that. Why? Because they can go online and uh, research and figure out what they did and, and how to do it, that sort of thing. 
And it's that sense of superiority, that self-righteousness. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get revenge at all these people. And usually there's racist elements, uh, sexist, white supremacy with these uh, shooters. They think that they're, the evil is out here that they're trying to um, get back against. Simple solution, uh, working on calming ourselves, de-escalating. But I think we should start, and this is going to come from parents, I'm convinced of this, uh, because we all know that this is not good for the kids, right? I mean, you, this is what you learn when you're a, a parent is like, oh, why didn't I wear a sunscreen for like 10 years? Oh, that's strange, <laughs> like frying my skin. Uh, we start a social movement, anti-big tech, and we don't have any goals, we don't have any ideas, we just know that there's something we need to push back against. And so you can meet anybody and say, you know, we're starting this anti-big tech movement, and if they're pro-big tech, they probably make $400,000 a year or more or something, so we don't want them in the group. But everybody else, you know, like I, I loved hearing Bukata speak, but I doubt Blue Cross Blue Shield would pay him to talk about class class issues. Because if we start with class, that inevitably leads to race. Uh, but m all of us, we're in the 99%, okay? There's no billionaires in here. That's where we should start from, class, a class critique. Big tech, they're the new oligarchs, okay? Putin is listening to his oligarchs in Russia. Biden is listening to his oligarchs here in the United States. It's ruled by a few. We are many, they are a few. They're terrified of us getting in rooms together. That's why the move to virtual, so you're isolated. This doesn't assemble, this isolates. It's just me in here, by myself. We need to assemble and we need to do it peacefully. Uh, you know, like the Black Lives Matter was attempting to do, is we need to push these uh, power structures because they are not gonna budge. Um, other ways, but rather than thinking about dominating space, we occupy it temporarily to understand the sacredness of, of space. Um, I do think, you know, analytical therapies are um, the way to go, but the way I practice is I'm just teaching uh, the client to teach themselves a model. Transactional analysis, I've landed on it after many years of different um, types of therapy, but it's really confronting passive behavior. <coughs> Okay, so I want to leave you with a, a quick story and then I'm happy to take um, questions. So when I do meditation with the preschool kids, we do a mindfulness exercise, then we do meditation, and then we do a story. They love the story. Sometimes I make them up. Sometimes I tell them, you know, koans and different things. And so there is this, this uh, Zen story about a boy who's walking in the jungle. He's walking through the jungle and he spots a tiger ambling by the tiger makes con eye contact with the boy, gives chase. So the boy runs. And the boy runs and comes to a precipice, and he leaps over the precipice, grabs onto a vine with one hand. So he's hanging from the vine, the tiger up above him. I say to the kids, well, what happens if he climbs up, <laughs> up on the cliff? Well, the tiger's going to eat him. Yeah, the tiger's going to eat him. The issue is he looks down. There's another tiger below. Now if he falls down, the tiger's going to eat him. He's got the tiger up above him, if he climbs up, he's going to get eaten. Just then, two mice, a black mouse and a white mouse, crawl onto the vine and they start chewing on the vine. And I say to them, what's going to happen if they chew through the vine? They say, he's going to fall and then the tiger's going to eat him. So in that moment, the boy looks to the side, he sees a strawberry bush, 
He grabs the strawberry, he bites the strawberry, and he tastes the sweetness. That's the story. <laughs> In the moment, we all tasted the strawberry, right? Or some of us? Did you taste the sweetness? Okay, that's what's happening right now. This, this story is about non-duality. So what I think, there aren't Republicans, there aren't Democrats, there aren't mentally ill people, there aren't not mentally ill people, there's people. And we need to get together with people and give up this identity politics stuff that, that creates separation. We're all the same, fundamentally. Okay, so letting go of these, I'm not saying that that's not an aspect of your experience, but in the moment, this is what, this is what Zen is really about, is letting, letting go of that idea of yourself, because then you can be in a symbiotic relationship with someone. That's what happens with a mother and an infant. That's my experience from observing it, is it doesn't matter who that person was beforehand. All of their energy is about taking care of that baby. Now, if we did that with one another and paid attention to how people were agitated and calmed the f down, I think the world might get a little better. But we're going to have to work together and we're going to have to push back uh, against these people in, in power. And that's where I think uh, subversion, you know, resist the temptation to identify as one camp or the other. The two tigers don't really exist in the moment, just like Republicans, Democrats, liberals, conservatives. Uh, so that's my message. If, there, if you want more of this information, I have a podcast that I run through um, these ideas, but I'm happy to take questions. Thanks so much for your time. If anyone has any questions, we have time for about one or two. I agree that we uh, need to get off technology so much, but we know that uh, women and men both use technology about uh, similar amounts, and most of these mass shootings are white men. So do you it's not actually that? mostly white men. The demographics in the U.S. are uh, across race. It's about the same. But it's 98% men. It's definitely male. It's uh, masculine. But I wouldn't think of it as men. You know, again, this idea of non-duality. There is feminine energy and there's masculine energy. And it's got nothing to do with gender or sexuality. Is we need more feminine energy, which is self-effacing. We need to teach that you don't have to always give your opinion and say what you're thinking. I mean, the stuff that comes up in my head, I don't say it to my kids. I have to think, okay, what should I actually say that's nurturing in a situation? But that was a surprise to me. It's actually not just white Christian men. That's what I thought it was. It's, uh, but it's definitely a masculine um, characteristic uh, flavor to it. But they're learning this in the culture, okay? This is an American phenomenon, but we've always dominated space and time. We have something like 900 military bases all over the globe. Uh, we don't even know where most of them are colonizing space with weapons. We invite people into our economic system, our democratic, so-called democratic system, and when they say they don't want to do it, then we show them the guns. So this is, very, this is a phenomenon that doesn't surprise me that it exists and it'll continue to exist until we push back. The gun thing is such a tense issue for people. I think we should start with big tech because there is that aspect of their profiting off of these massacres. Uh, and everyone, I think, is in agreement because I, my uh, in-laws, 
uh, you could argue are really conservative. My family of origin is more liberal. But everywhere I go and talk about this, it's all in agreement. There is a problem with this. We, know, we might not know exactly what's going on, but I think it's mindlessness. And that it terrifies me that my kindergartner is doing math on a tablet and where this is going to go um, in 20 years. But we can get together and we can change this. Because it's really the, I know I'm taking up more time. <laughs> this is monopoly power. So this doesn't even, this, this is a phone, right? But it doesn't look like a phone. I've had lots of different phones in my life. So now it's the elimination of the phone. It's elimination of, uh, I mean, answering machine, pagers, you could talk about all that, but the TV is going away. And soon people won't go to movie theaters because it's too scary to go to movie theaters. So monopoly power just eliminates other technology. And with this, it's so everything can be recorded. This is a self-tracking machine. It tracks itself. When I talk to my clients on the phone, I want that communication to disappear. In fact, I want most of my communication to disappear. Uh, probably this lecture included, but, <laughs> but it doesn't disappear. And it's, again, it's not like we're being you know, followed around by goons. It's like it's just going to this vast well of data mining, and it's the same old uh, form of an economic system. You know, They're not building skyscrapers but you have to dig up the earth in order to get the minerals for the batteries and all the water to cool these computer servers. There is nothing green about Google and these big tech companies. They are predators and they're working with these psychopath politicians and I think everyone knows that. I mean, again, this feels like, it feels like Russia in the, in the late 90s, early 90s, everybody knew that the people in charge had no clue what they're doing. I think that's what's happening in the United States and so we feel Despair, we feel more anxiety. They don't know what they're doing. We need to agree on that. Put aside, you know, this two-party system. You know, we, it's not working. They're both corporate-owned parties, so we need to go beyond that. I'll shut up now. Thanks so much. <laughs>